Hey everyone, welcome to the I Dare You podcast. This podcast, it is all about you and helping you reach the big goals that you have for your life and what next steps you can take to get there. I'm your host, Darren Johnson. Welcome to the show. If you're new, welcome. I invite you to subscribe to the podcast so that you do not miss an episode. And also follow us on Instagram, at I Dare You Pod. There, a lot of big things happening. You're going to find content you won't find anywhere else, all designed to equip and inspire you to become the best version of yourself, including video snippets of this interview with our guest. And our guest, unbelievable, here he is, Dr. John Deloney. Now, last year we had Dr. Deloney on the show. It was one of the most downloaded episodes we've ever had, and for good reason. His message about your worth being well, it breaks through. It's the right message at the right time, and I'm so honored to have him back here on the I Dare You podcast. Now, if you are new to Dr. Deloney, let me tell you a little bit about him. He is a best-selling author and also a mental health and wellness expert, the host of the Dr. John Deloney Show. He holds two PhDs, educated guy, one in counselor education and supervision, and another in higher education administration. Now, along with that education, a lot of unbelievable experience. Before joining Ramsey Solutions, John spent two decades working as a senior leader, researcher, and a professor at multiple universities. He's also spent years working in crisis and emergency response. And now, as a Ramsey personality, he teaches people how to reclaim their lives from, from the madness of this modern world. Now, I mentioned the Dr. John Deloney Show, over 200,000 weekly listeners, also co-host of the Ramsey Show, which is the second largest talk radio show in America, 1.5 billion, that's with a B, podcast downloads, and 1 billion, with a B, YouTube views. Incredible. He's reaching a lot of people. Instagram, over 470,000 followers. TikTok, the same. He also is the author of a brand new best-selling book, Building a Non-Anxious Life. That title, again, could there ever be a more timely and important book than that, Building a Non-Anxious Life? Wow. Well, if you are struggling with anxiety or stress, you are not alone. And you're going to learn that anxiety does not have the last word. It was so good connecting with John once again. I like this guy. I love his message about learning to be well. And you're going to learn that you are worth being well. Okay, let's get into it. Dr. John Deloney is here for the second time in I Dare You podcast. He's ready for episode 89. I hope you are as well. Let's bring him in. Here, everybody, is Dr. John Deloney. Hey, what's up? Oh, John Deloney, how are you? What are you doing? Good to see you again. Yeah, you too, man. I've got a lot of questions for you. Thanks again for uh, uh, fitting me into your schedule. I've, oh, I'm, dude, I'm that... excited about your book. I've been following you, watching what's going on in Instagram and uh, the way you're helping people. So again, really an honor to have you back. Hey, it's the, I promise you the honor is all mine, and I'm grateful for your time too, man. That's, that's awesome. Thank you. You know what? You're not going to remember this, but I was talking to Rachel Cruz a, a couple weeks ago, and I showed oh, up. She's the worst. <laughs> I showed up wearing a tie and I, and she was so polite and so nice to me. And I said to her, I said, you know what? You're a lot nicer than John. John <laughs> driven me about the fact that I wore a tie right down here on the floor. John, I've got a crumpled up tie. That I took <laughs> off. Oh, you make me feel that. Here's the thing. I wore ties, suit and ties every day for almost 20 years to my job. And, uh, the other night I went with some guys and we went to a, like uh, to watch one of these guys, kids play band play in a, at a, in a punk show club, yeah. little, small, little place. And 
I realized this morning I put on that exact same outfit that I wore that night. I'm winning. This is it. I can go out and go to work in the same outfit. It was fantastic. You have arrived. Tell us a little bit about where did this start for you, especially in the area of crisis intervention and and helping others with trauma. I mean, I think the the quick and d- dirty answer is my I grew up in the home of a homicide detective and a SWAT hostage negotiator. So I just learned at a young age when something's on fire, you run in, and um, that was just become part of my DNA. And, um, and so I had a ringside seat to that. And then as I got older, I began to realize, I, I'll never forget going, I, I started, let me back up. I worked with, as a dean of students with, at multiple universities and I was a professor, just a nerd of nerds, if you will. Um, and I, I, my whole career was sitting with hurting people, right? And one kid after another, after another, a kid who's have to leave college because they were selling drugs in the residence hall and one kid who wants to hurt themselves and one kid that's struggling with who they are. And I mean, just one after another, after another, and then their parents would call. Um, and then over time I had my own implosion, my own body said, Hey, I'm out. Um, you can't run at this pace 24, seven, 365 for this long. And you, we, we've been trying to send you the messages and you're not getting them. So we're out. And, um, Part of my healing and recovery was I joined a crisis team in West Texas at a, at a relatively large police department. And it was just part of a small team. And we got text messages that said 1087 in an address. And 1087 was a police code for someone had passed away. And we would show up at two in the morning, at two in the afternoon. And it could be a four-year-old, it could be a 20-year-old, or it could be a 98-year-old. And our job was to sit with the people, the family members, and the friends that came next, and sometimes do the notification. So um, my whole career, I, I'll never forget coming home one night after the first time I saw a really gruesome um, home, and I called my dad, and I said, hey, what do you do when you figure out that the greatest talent you have in the world is giving people really bad news with grace? Mm. And he said, um, you'd be really grateful that you found it, and you make sure that you honor people by doing it right. And that, that's, that's been an important um, call in my life since then. Well, that is really profound. Except my follow-up question was, with all that, John, why, why do you do what you do? I, I'm, I could never even imagine doing that. And I think you just answered the question. Did you use the word call? Is, is it a calling? I think, uh, I mean, we could probably, that's probably its own podcast. I think the way we talk about call is that God or some deity hid your calling from you and your job in life is to find it. And it's, yeah. you got to go to the right classes. And the, I, I think we talk about it in a mad way. The way I talk about calling is what is the, the, the most helpful situation I can put myself in for other people where my body gets really still and really peaceful. And strangely enough, when there is blood in the room and people are weeping, my body slows way down. And that's where you, it, it, I, I wish I could have another thing, another way to describe it, but it just feels right. And, um, I will, I'll stay up all night and I'll, I'll be nervous later and my heart will be racing on my drive home. But there's something about somebody inviting you into the darkest, scariest moments of their life that just everything slows down for me. And so when I think of calling, I think that's, that's what we're put here for. So you also mentioned that you had your own implosion and I'm looking at you right now and uh, you look like there you are sitting there confident, got the world all figured out on the surface, <laughs> on the surface, you're, you got this thing all going on. John Deloney, you, you have a story with anxiety. What is it? Yeah. I mean, it, it, um, like I said, my dad was a police officer and then halfway through my life, he became a minister and, um, 
there were seasons we didn't have enough money for groceries. And I, I remember at a young age pegging, I will not do public service because I'm not going to have a home that can't afford groceries. And if that's what this, if that's what the public thinks of this service, I'm doing something else. And so like a maniac, I chased dollars and titles and I have two PhDs, not because I'm smart, but because I was so desperate to show the world, I can, I can, I can. And I chased leadership opportunities. And I was also in hospitals three or four nights a week, sitting with kids and with college students and their parents. And my body eventually said, we're out, I'm out. And we think of burnout as this, burnout is your body saying, hey, you're not getting the message, so we're turning the car off. And it might turn off in the highway, but we're turning it off. And so my marriage was hanging on by a thread. I was a new father after years of not being able to have kids. And I was over my head with leadership in, at a university. I was over so many people at so much, so many budgets and so many cuts and all the stuff that, um, and I wasn't taking care of myself. I didn't know what that meant. I thought that peace would come when I got the right dollar amount. I thought peace would come when I finally got that title. And um, it was a hard path back, realizing peace comes from waking up when you said you were going to wake up and peace comes from that exercise and peace comes from being in service to, to and you're worshiping something bigger than yourself and peace comes from having a marriage that's whole. And so um, having your kids that want to come be around you and not slam their door and not talk to you. And so I, it's been a complete um, new adventure. And let me just go ahead and be honest, super honest. Halfway through writing a book on anxiety, this is, this is going to become folklore at some point in my family's line. Halfway through writing a book on, on um, anxiety, my manager, I had asked him, there's two speaking gigs that I wanted and I wanted them real bad. And he calls me down in the basement over the Christmas holidays and says, Hey, I got the gigs. We got them. And I am cheering and screaming down in my basement, like, yeah, all right. Right. And my wife comes down the stairs and she says, what are you yelling about? And I said, I got this speaking gig and I got this one too. And here's what that's going to mean for us financially and this and this. And normally she backs away when she gets anxious or backs away when she gets angry with me or frustrated. And this time she didn't. One of the first times in our whole marriage. And she leaned, she walked towards me. And she said, I'm watching my husband die right in front of me. Really? And she said, um, man, it's hard. She said, the pie piece, the, the picture of this pie of how much I love you and the pie piece inside that pie that is how much money you make is full. Go do whatever you want to do. Take these speaking gigs. That's fine. But don't for a second say it's for me. And don't say it's for your kids or for your family. This is for your ego. And then she said something that I didn't have a psychology for. She said, John, we have enough. And she walked away. And strangely, a year plus later, uh, I ended up checking myself into a hotel. And that book, it, the, the anxiety book turned from me lecturing the world on what anxiety is and isn't to me pulling up a bar stool saying, whoa, me too, guys. Really? And um, she watched a guy beginning to go right down the path that she lived through last time. More book sales, more speaking gigs, more money, more this. And I had just wrapped some altruism around it, but I was the same path. Wow. And so um, it was a powerful checkmate moment. So like I would like you can't uh, brush your teeth so good on a Monday morning that you don't have to do it again until Thursday, right? You can't do that for me. And I think for all of us, choosing to not have an anxious life is a daily commitment. Choosing to not have a separate life from your spouse is a daily commitment. 
and I'm not above it and nobody's above it. And in fact, it's coming for us all. And that's why you got to have a roadmap, man. Yeah, it is coming for us all. Uh, thanks for, thanks for being so candid with that, John. Yeah, you, know, you bet. The name of the book is building a non-anxious life. And this episode is dropping on October 3rd, which is the release day. That's it, man. Yeah. There we go. And by the way, you're a great follow on Instagram and on Twitter on, on Twitter or X, I should say. Um, here's a tweet. Building a non-anxious life is here. Writing this book nearly did me in. It was the hardest thing I've ever done, yet it changed everything for me, my family, and those I love. How, how did it change you, John? I had to go back to, um, I, I consistently get over academic about things and I get over Instagrammed about things. What I mean by that is <laughs> I love a good theory and I love a good David Goggins video. Just run 25 miles. Let's do it. And I love that. <laughs> and it's real easy for me to blow out my past my seven-year-old daughter reaching up saying, dad, do you love me? Do you see me to go get my 20 miles in? And it's real easy for me to come up with some theory about how much financial security my family needs and how much achievement I need to be whole and just miss life. And so this book caused me to go back and challenge myself on not only what I believe, but how I'm actually living my life. And I found in many ways, I was being a charlatan. I wasn't telling the truth on certain things. And I needed to reach out to some of my friends and experts on diet and exercise. I needed to reach out to some of my friends on dealing with the clutter in my home. I needed to reach out to my wife and say, okay, here we are again. Let's, we got to yeah. build something new. Let's do something new. And so it was a very humbling moment for a guy that just had like a number one book and a, and a great podcast and I'm a host of a radio show. That's all good, man. But if your kids don't want to sit in the same room with you, what are we doing? It's all good. But man, if your wife has to build a separate life from you because you're radioactive, why? Why do we do all this? And so the, the beautiful part on the back end, um, I'm busier now than I was. And my marriage is more unified than it has been because this book gave me a, it, it, it's just, dude, this book is me talking to me and me talking to a group of friends sitting around a table, right? But here's the roadmap. And if I follow this roadmap, it allows you to run at a much faster pace um, for a season because you've done the work that is going to allow you to repel off the side here. Mm, that's good. You know, you talk about that roadmap. And one thing I've noticed about you and following your work for a number of years now is you're, you're, you're really big on choices and the theme of choices. Yeah. And you, in your book, you, you have these six daily choices. And my question to you is the devil's advocate, really, John, do we really have a choice? Because the world is coming at me really, really fast. And there are a lot of days that I don't feel like I have a choice. I feel like I'm just in reaction mode. So convince me about why, why is it that I have more control or I really have a choice in some of these? Yeah, I, that word became more and more important to me the longer I worked with college students. The more students came in and said, hey, I was abused and we're about to talk about X in class or, hey, I'm a part of this, a, this group of students that's been kicked to the curb in our culture and we don't have access to anything. Can you help? And, hey, my dad just took all the money out of my, my account. I don't have any tuition. My, like whatever the most the wildest things you can imagine. And every time. I would hear that story, we would talk, I would listen and I would listen and we would always land on the same question. What are you gonna do now? What comes next? And the, the follow-up to what are you gonna do now is an empowering question. 
because it's you get to choose. Are you going to go um, curl up in a ball and say, hey, this happened to me. This is my destiny. This is who I'm going to become. This is who I am. Or are you going to start putting into place a series of behaviors and actions that are going to help you rise out of this madness? And so this idea of choice is we live in a culture. We live in a culture of an economy of distraction. Don't look at reality. Look over here. Look over here. Look over here. I may have talked about this on your last show, but even Netflix has taken away the remote control from us. It knows us so well and it scans our social media and it scans other platforms. It knows us so well that it just starts the next episode of the next show we want to watch because it already knows it. We don't even have to push play. And so we don't need to grow food, much less go to the store. We just pull out our magic wand boxes and push a button and food shows up on our front door. We have, we have been dropped into a moment of history where every business's aim is to make our lives easier and frictionless and unintentional. Hmm. And that all sounds good, but that's like going into the gym and every personal trainer's job is to pull all the weight off the bar so it's easier for you to lift. You can do that, but you will never get stronger. You will never get more resilient. You will never grow. And our bodies are screaming at us. And so... Does people, do people choose to be anxious? Absolutely not. No one would choose that. People choose depression? No. Does their body sound anxiety alarms when they've chosen loneliness, when they've chosen six figures in student loan debt, when they've chosen to not go to counseling after that abuse? Yes, it does. And I think I've reached a place where um, I think it's disingenuous. It's disempowering to continue to tell people, well, this is just what happened to you and this is what you have. And so the only path forward is, you to come see me every week for the rest of your life and pay me $125 you don't have. That's, that's a lie. It's not true. The greatest gift I can give you is a gift of empowerment. You can. I believe in you even when you can't. And here's a map forward. So I think we have infinitely more choices than we think we do. And we have infinitely more power than we think we do. We just don't know how to utilize it. And that's what this book's for. What a, what a great roadmap in these choices. So I'm looking at these choices, John, choosing reality, choosing connection, choosing freedom, choosing health and healing, choosing mindfulness, choosing belief. How did you, how do you land on those, on those six? What was your process? Was it what you went through? Yeah. In fact, no, I was pretty careful to not include my process. One of the frustrating things I think about the Instagram world we live in is somebody has a diet that works for them and it, it becomes the only diet that anyone should ever have, right? Or somebody has a, an experience with trauma and that becomes the only path. And I think that's, so I intentionally stayed away from my particular journey. Um, this is a combination of the latest and greatest neuroscience. This is the combination of the latest and greatest um, nerd work, if you will, the counseling literature. This was countless hours meeting with live, I mean, with real professionals, medical doctors and therapists over and over and over again to begin to distill down what, what are the challenges here. And then really it was thousands of calls on my show, like go do this one thing and then call me back, go do this, these two things and call me back. And so it's a conglomeration of all of that. And I'll say this, I'm not equipped to speak as eloquently on neuroscience as Andrew Huberman or Peter Atia. They are smarter than me by their engines and their minds are a 500 X mine. And I concede that to them. The world needs them to be doing the work they need. They, they do. This is designed for people who don't 
have any time for all the neuroscience. They just want to be a more present dad. Or I'm a single mom with two kids. I am a mom with three kids and five soccer games this weekend and a husband that's kind of half in and half out and a school teacher that keeps emailing me. What do I do? This is for them. So I wrote it as simple as I could. I wrote it simple for me. Um, but that that's the that's the genesis of it. Well, one of the things I admire about your show and, and just, again, watching how you operate is you're really candid about saying, hey, I don't have all the answers. And if I don't, I'll tell you, which I have to tell you, I just really appreciate. Well, and, and to me, that's a sign of <laughs> it's so wild um, when you spend your life around people with PhDs and medical degrees. You hear the phrase, I don't know, all the time, all the time, because they don't know. You'll talk to yeah. somebody that went to school for 50 years to be a gastroenterologist, like to work on guts or, you know, yeah. whatever. And you ask him about a heart. They know the answer, but they're like, hey, that's not my thing, man. Like, just tell me. Like, I don't, I don't know, man. And so that, that's part of the culture of, dude, I don't know, but I know somebody who does. Yeah. It's only when I got into the media world and the YouTube world and the political world that it was saying the words, I don't know, was 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 your death and so to be honest with you I, I i appreciate the compliment i don't know another way i just know i'm not very smart on very many things and so like man i love that one of my best friends is an hvac uh guy because i call him i was on the phone this morning with my buddy who works in banking you know why because i don't know anything about banking right. it's incredible so dude that's like one of the greatest freedoms i have is i don't know um, and i wish everyone would adopt that no there's power in it too there's power don't try to make it up just when you say, I don't know, but I'll get back to you, your credibility goes sky high. <laughs> yeah. And I wish people saw me on the way to, on my way to my show. My, the producer of the show will send me just a one line. Hey, the, this one's going to call about this. Someone's going to call about this. I don't have uh -huh. the emails or anything. But man, if I get a call about, hey, my son's got autism and he was sexually abused by... I have a buddy who works at Brown University Psychiatric Hospital who is an expert in autism and childhood sexual abuse. Why in the world would I not call that guy? Right. 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 Or my, you know, so anyway, it's just it's just about being, I guess it's being humble enough to know I'm not that smart. Yeah. No, being real real reality. I'm not that smart, man. You know, uh, it reminds me of a quick story. My my wife, Michelle, she had a brain aneurysm five years ago, coming up on the five year anniversary. I was in the ICU, scary, neuro ICU. And I, I, I walked in and there was Michelle lying unconscious, surrounded by these neuroscientists and neurologists and these Navy SEAL type doctors. They looked like they stepped right out of a movie. And I, <laughs> I was asking them questions about what's going on in the brain. You know what, you know what I heard more often than not? We don't know. We I mean, don't know. Even, even these, the best of the best, these are military docs that came over from Afghanistan and Iraq and now they're in private practice. Well, okay. and let, let me let me paint this picture. And this is stark and scary, but it's also true. I had a lightning bolt moment while writing this. More people than ever before in human history are under the care of a mental health professional right now. Hmm. More people than ever before in human history are being medicated for some quote-unquote mental health disorder right now. We have access to communicate with more people I have what, 475,000 friends on Instagram or whatever. Yes, you do. I can communicate with all of that has never happened before in human history that we had that much access to that many people. And yet we are more anxious and more depressed than ever before. And so I had to ask myself a terrifying question. What if what we're doing is not working? What we're doing isn't working. The experts kept, we, and dude, I'm glad you brought that up. 
the number of times I kept asking an expert, hey, well, yeah, but what about this? And then with this? And they would always end with, dude, we don't know yet. We don't know yet. We don't know That's yet. True. And man, the pharmaceutical companies want to tell you that they know. Certain politicians want to tell you, no, we know. You don't, we don't know. And so let's go back to these ancient principles on how to live a whole life. Let's go to the best research on how to live a whole life. And let's just follow that path. And my promise is your body will respond in kind. Okay, John, well said. Let me let me dive into these categories. Uh, yeah, I pick some and, and, and bomb some questions. Let's do it. Yeah, here we go. I want to go after a connection. And um, I'm going to lead the witness here. And so if this is not what, <laughs> if this is not what a connection means, then you can say, no, that, that's not it. But here we go. So I do I do a lot of speaking. In fact, this weekend I'm going to Arizona and speaking to a group. Did you know, John, I know you do, 2023 U.S. Surgeon General Advisory on an epidemic of loneliness and isolation. But the headline of the study is lacking social connection is as dangerous as smoking up to 15 cigarettes a day. Is that the direction you're going that we've got a real problem here? Yeah, I think it's the chief pathology of our time. And if you know anything about Cassiopo's work, the, the great researcher who studied loneliness, when your body recognizes it's alone, it circles the wagons and it begins to point out the they's, who's on your team and who's not. And if you don't have a team, like, is this guy safe? Is she safe? Is she not safe? And you get very, very quickly into the game of they and blame. And if they would just, and you look around and that is our world. That is our ethos right now. If they would just, that's the most common sentiment of our time. If they would just, then we'd all be okay. And um, I think the data would back me up, but I just believe this anecdotally also. There is no mental health, period. There's no emotional health. There's no any sort of well life built on anything other than a foundation of connected relationships. You cannot be psychologically well. Let me say it even stronger. Your body would be failing you if it let you sleep all the way through the night and also be alone. It would be failing you if it let you and your wife have deep, incredible sexual intimacy, if it didn't believe you were also in danger because you're alone. It can't let you fully be present because it's trying to also scan the environment because there's nobody else there doing that work for you. Hmm. And so that is ancient wisdom, I mean, ancient wiring. It's how we're, that's how we're built to be in tribes. And I'll take the morning, you take the evening, you watch the kids, I'll make the food. And so I think the, the drum that we all have to begin beating, and I'm glad you're going to speak on this, man, that's awesome, is none of this stuff matters. None of it matters if you don't have a gang, if you don't have a person, two people, three people. And by the way, I strongly advise that not be your wife or your husband. That's too much for them to bear. They can't carry all of you. Um, you need a group of men and women outside your home that you can lean on, that you meet with regularly, not just on the internet. And your body will begin to repay you in kind. And is it awkward? Yes. Is it the worst? Yes. Is there any map at all for making friends in your 40s and 50s? No. And you have to do it anyway, period. Uh, yeah, you've been ahead of the curve on this. So you've, you've really influenced me on this topic, too, about how we need this community. We need this tribe. We need friends. It's like we've just been drifted away from this bond with one another, and I do not know why. Do you have any other insight before, before I go to another category? Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I think there's a reason why you get together with your high school friends and you'll still talk about those the football plays. And you get together yes. with the guys who you're on the first deployment with, and all y'all talk about, hey, I, you married? Yep. Yeah. Kids? Yeah, we're good. 
remember that time and you're already back and i think with all my guts i think that was the last time we were a part of something bigger than ourselves okay and so i do agree with because i do get a lot of pushback from men i i you know, oh yeah, I'm just gonna like invite the neighborhood dads over to my house and we're just gonna sit outside and shoot hoops. That's super lame. You're right. You're right. That actually is. And you shoot hoops, you shoot hoops, you do a barbecue, you mow each other's yard, and then somebody's mom dies and you say, Hey, can you come over? And so men are so instantaneous and so ROI focused and so let's just solve this problem right now. And that is not how friendship works. That's not how relationship works. And so you keep showing up and you keep showing up. And maybe you and a couple of guys say, hey, let's just start cleaning up the neighborhood together. Maybe you and a couple of guys say, let's find four widows in our neighborhood and mow their yards. Let's just do that together. Or once a month, let's come over to each other's houses and just do all the chores, all the honeydews and get them done for you. And we'll come to my house next month. Whatever it is, there's something about shoulder to shoulder that is true, um, but you have to choose to step into be a part of something bigger than yourself. And without that anchor, you are always talking about the good old days. Yeah, that is so true. So true. In fact, John, we didn't go to school together. Eighth grade, I ran a 44 power up the gut from the three-yard line. I scored a touchdown. So there you go. And you still, still remember. And oh, I my- still remember my high school track times. That's embarrassing, right? <laughs> but that was the last time I had like real significance in my head, you know? And it's so strange how those stamp themselves on our soul. But I was a part of a big team. And that mattered to me. And now my job is to not avoid that. Now my job is to go find a new team. All right, let's let's keep going then. You talked about some belief in something bigger. What do we need to know about belief and this wanting something bigger? Every human civilization of all time had some god or series of gods that they attributed how the world worked. Um, it's lightning outside because this God is angry or the crops grew because this God was happy or my mom got well because God saved her. And, and over the past 150 years, a couple of things happened. One, we came up with this idea of self-actualization that most so- modern psychological theories are based on. If you do these things and get well enough, you will be actualized. You will become the center of the universe, of your universe. The second thing is, while that was going on, this, this insane focus on self, 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 self. We solved for things that had plagued humanity forever. We, people don't, didn't go, don't go hungry like they used to. You just push a button and the food shows up on your front porch. Um, water. Like you just turn on the faucet. And I know there's parts of the world that don't have clean water. I get that, but I'm, I'm talking about uh, generally. Um, And so we solved for some of these things. And in solving so with our technology, we got real, real arrogant. And we stopped going to churches. And if you look at the data, it's just people quit going. And I tell pastors all the time when I meet with them, hey, they're still having church. They just have them at the CrossFit gym. They have it at the coffee shop. They have it at the bookstore. They're just not coming to your building because we don't believe that we need something bigger than us to believe in anymore we believe in self-actualization we believe in self-improvement we believe in making a better body we believe in whatever the thing is and so my contention is if we look at what freud wrote and what jung wrote about self-actualization we're there we made it we have everything and the trend line for anxiety depression continues to go straight up like a rocket ship and so 
we have to ask ourselves the question, what if the self can't hold? What if the self was never designed to hold up the universe? And what if we were created? What if we are designed or evolved, whatever word you want to use, to go outside and take a knee and look up in the sky and say, please, something bigger than me, please rain or my kids die. And we've completely cut the tethers on that conversation. And that's secular um, writers, that is faith-based writers, that is everybody saying we have lost a common core of belief or a common narrative in our culture and our community. So me and my family were Christian. That is who, who we choose to worship. I'm not going to prescribe what their, your belief system is. In fact, I've got some close, uh, I sent that chapter before I, I sent it to the editor. I sent it to a buddy of mine who is a brilliant legal scholar. He's a law professor and an atheist. And he wrote oh. back, I buy it. Um, because he also, he bought the argument, but also he believes in the birth and life and death cycle of nature and that nature is continuous and, and about renewal. Great. If that's what it is for you, awesome. You have to believe in something bigger than yourself because as long as your body thinks it's holding up the universe, it has to be anxious as a function because it was never designed to carry that kind of weight. And so you have to choose belief. And that may, may mean going back to a church building. That may mean putting your hands together in the middle of the night and saying to some unknown something, help. But you got to begin to believe in something bigger than yourself. Hmm. Uh, that's, that, that's really well said. Yeah, I think it's that solid, that not solitude, because solitude can be healthy, but it's that pervasive existential loneliness. It's just me on a rock flying through space. My parents don't understand me. I have no significant other. My friends are getting married and growing up. And this whole God thing was just a cute story that they told us in Sunday school. And I'm all, I'm all alone. And yeah. if your body doesn't sound the anxiety alarms in that moment, it's failing you. It's letting you down. It's supposed to sound the alarms. And our culture says race to go shut the alarms off, shut them off because you're not supposed to be uncomfortable. Shut them off, go up, climb up and take the batteries out of the smoke detector. That'll protect you. And it does, it makes it quiet. And then your house burns down around you. And so um, I think that I think it's making peace of those alarms and running towards them instead of shutting them off. Well, let's talk about another one of these uh, categories, these areas, these choices that we can make. I want to talk about the health and healing. What, what do you have in mind there, John? And because here's what I think I know about you, even though you said this is not exactly your journey, but you're big into exercise and lifting weights. And uh, is there the correlation there? I'll be quiet. You know my question. Yeah. Yeah. Um... I think we've we've bought and sold a lie that mental mental health is getting all the right thoughts in the right order and that your mind that your body in your body are somehow disassociated from one another and there is so there's no such thing as mental health and physical health it's all the same thing there's no such thing as relational health and physical health and mental health and we have different specialists for each ones and different academic tracks for each ones they're the same thing they all work together right your car can have a flat tire or it can have a gasket. Your car is not driving, right? You can be a tire specialist or a gasket specialist. That's fine. But for me, the dad just trying to get my kid to school, my car won't move, right? And so the problem is the same. And so I begin, I, I, I'm a cerebral guy. I'm always in my head. I've always got a nerd journal article in my hand and I've always got a podcast thing in my ear. And it was really important to sit down with a, a couple of therapists over time that was like, hey, you have to stop thinking and start acting differently. You cannot think your way 
out of this problem. In fact, once your body realizes that's what you're doing, it will make your thoughts so toxic and so insidious and so repetitive that it will bury you. You have to get up and move. And now there's just research after research about um, exercise being a frontline um, cure for depression and anxiety. All these things that we have been told, just sit and talk about it, sit and talk about it, sit and talk about it, sit and talk about it. Maybe go run. Maybe go for a long walk. Maybe go lift weights and tell somebody I'm hurting. Do both of those things. And so health and healing is really, a, it's, a, it, it's its own book, to be honest with you. Yeah. Um, but it's a, it's, it's really own your past, change your future. It's, it is, if you wake up every day and start every day with four monster energy drinks, your, your heart's going to beat out of your chest. You're not going to feel our yeah. 17 cups of coffee. Um, we are, the last statistic I heard was 70% of the U.S. qualifies as metabolic, metabolically unhealthy. We're obese. You can't expect your body not to sound the alarms if you're not well. It's doing its job. If your car engine is about to lock up, the lights will come on your dashboard. That's what anxiety is. And so if you have childhood abuse that you have not dealt with, if you have childhood trauma you haven't dealt with, your body will continue to solve for those problems throughout your lifetime. And of course, you're going to be anxious. Of course, of course. And so you got to choose health or healing. You have to look in the mirror and say, I'm worth um, losing this weight. I'm worth sitting down with my wife and saying, I'm struggling with intimacy. You have to sit down with your therapist and say, this happened to me. You've got to go through that process. Otherwise, your body would be failing you if it wasn't sounding the anxiety alarms. Wow. On the podcast, I have an author. Her name is Alyssa Ages, and she's she competes in strong women competitions, strong men competitions, lifting heavy things. And um, in her book, uh, she talks, she interviewed a lot of different uh, athletes and weightlifters and strongman competitors. And I said, what's the big theme? You know what she said, John? She said the, the number one theme is that every one of these, every one of these individuals is, has used strength training or, um, yeah, weightlifting as, as a way to get over some trauma in their life. Hmm. And it was really interesting to hear it from her. And uh, now to hear you say that as well, there's some real there's definitely some real, real power there. And again, all these things in your book are backed up by research. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I wish I wish I was smart enough just to whip them out, but I'm not. <laughs> okay. We've talked about some of the six choices, but if you had to choose just one for someone who's listening and thinking, sounds great, but where would I begin? Where would you start, John? I think the, the biggest one that is the most practical that, that is a good place for people to start is choosing freedom. And what I mean by choosing freedom is this. We have, like we talked about earlier, we have the economy of distraction. And we have the economy of frictionless interaction. And what happens over time is other people begin to, we outsource food and we outsource technology and we outsource relationships and we outsource and we outsource and we outsource. And, we outsource. and suddenly we wake up and we owe $100,000 in student loans or 35000 bucks in student loans and a mortgage and two car notes. And here's the deal. In your frontal lobe, that deal was a, actually a good mathematical deal. A home at 3% interest, which is what some people got several years ago, that is an insane mathematical deal. You won that math exchange. Great job. And your amygdala knows if you say one wrong thing at work and you get fired, we are homeless. They take our home. And it would be like I've said this 20 times in this interview, they would be failing you if it let you sleep at night. 
If you get fired, they take the cars. If you get fired, they take the fill in the blank. If you lose your job or you get downsized or they have to reduce your hours or this big sale doesn't come through or the bonus doesn't come through. And so your body would be letting you down if it didn't say, hey, whoa, 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 whoa. We are this close to falling off an edge here when it comes to our finances. Or one step further, most of us live lives where if one meeting goes over five minutes, our entire day falls over because our calendars are so insanely packed. We're not designed to live like that. We're designed for scarcity. We're evolved for scarcity. And now we have so many storage spaces across the country because we don't have enough space in our 4,000 or 3,000 or 2,000 square foot homes to put all our crap. And so our bodies are absorbing this. We have this stuff over here and this over here and this over here. And then how many of us are, good grief, how many of us are mother-in-law still tell us what we're doing for Christmas? whether we can afford it, whether we are too exhausted as a family. And so we have no boundaries. And so what I want people to begin to do is look at who's telling me what to do with my life and how can I unhook as many of those voices as possible from my life. And that goes back to this idea of autonomy. When your body recognizes that you are not driving your own car, you're in the backseat of your own life, it will try to get your attention. That's why people say like, we'll be going through really difficult, challenging times, but they have a plan. They've got a roadmap. They have a destination and they're not anxious. They're exhausted and they're working hard, but they're not anxious, right? That's different than I owe all this money. I've got all this. My calendar's crazy. I'm trying to work this extra job and do this. And my kid's soccer coach with the travel sports that I just gave $55,000 so I could play. It, it, I mean, everybody's telling me what to do. That is a recipe for your body trying to get your attention, get your attention, get your attention. So freedom has become a really powerful like path for me. Toyota Motor Company is not going to tell me what I do tomorrow. I am. And if I sign up for a, 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 to work at a, at, a, at a job, I'm going to hand that my boss. I'm going to hand her or hand him. You can tell me what to do, but it's my choice that you're telling me what to do, right? It's not this desperate, I have to do this. And by the way, for your listeners, some of them are going to be rolling their eyes and start getting mad at me. Yes, I mean, for the next three years, don't go out to eat, not one time. For the next three years, don't buy anything new. Take one job on in the morning, do your regular job and work another job at night. Pay all your stupid debts off so that nobody owns you anymore. And so that choosing freedom, man, that's, that's, we live a very tethered world and the, all these other corporations and people and political groups, they, they own us. And I want to get out of the matrix, man. Hmm. Well, as John was describing that, if you know, you know, uh, you, that feeling, that feeling in your gut, when you walk into your boss's uh, office for that one-on-one -on -one, and you know that he has complete control over your life. I've been there. I have too. I have too. No worst feeling in the world. It never leaves you, even in the weekends. So I thought the way you framed it up is perfect. And for those of you that are younger in your career, maybe in your 20s and you're still out of debt, good for you. Stay yeah. there. Stay there. There is no, there, cars are depreciating assets. There is no car worth your freedom. There is no home worth your freedom. Don't do it. So John, the name of the book is Building a Non-Anxious Life, and it, it releases today, October 3rd. October 5th, I know you got a big, big event in Nashville that I know is going to be a packed house, but what is it that you would hope people would think or do differently as a result of reading this book? 
I want to give people their power back. I want to give people the keys to their own car back to them and give them driving instructions for how to drive it. And um, my my dream would be that we have a an, a a country, a culture shift, where people begin to take ownership of their lives and stop being so angry and rageful. We've tried that; it didn't work. And we've also tried passivity and whatever that didn't work either. No. So let's get in small communities and let's take power, our power back. Let's take ownership of our lives back and let's work through these steps and get our marriages back and get our relationship with our kids back and get our finances back. And my promise is these anxiety alarms, they'll quit ringing. They will turn off like a smoke detector. If you put the fire out, then the smoke detector, when the smoke clears, it quits ringing. It stops. Taking the batteries out, your house will burn down around you. Dealing with the fire, and you can save everything. So that's my hope with this book. That's great. Two last questions. Uh, first, I know you, I know you love rock and roll. You love music. You play guitar. Mm-hmm. If you only had three songs on your Spotify playlist, John, jeez, oh, you got to pick three. What are they? Oh man, three songs. Um, no hard feelings by the Avit Brothers. Walk by Pantera. And good grief. Um, the 99 Red Balloons remake. Um, I think it's less than Jake. It's one of those punk bands, and it's oh one of my, my favorite gosh. favorite versions of... Uh, it's one of my favorite covers I've ever heard. Holy smokes. I'm going to check that out. Nothing from T-Swift. I didn't know what to expect, so thank you for that. Yeah, <laughs> I, 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 could, I could listen to all T-Swift. She's so much better than everybody. She's so good. And anything by John Mayer. I like John Mayer, too. Yeah, good taste. Okay, John, at the end of our podcast, I ask all my guests, what is your I dare you challenge for all of us? I can't wait for this. You would dare us to do what? To maybe live a better life, get closer to where we want to go. I dare you to sit down by yourself at your kitchen table after your kids are asleep and take a full inventory of your life. And you can start here. What is the state of your marriage? What's the state of your finances? Actually write on a piece of paper. What do I owe? Who do I owe? What is the state of your relationship with your kids? What is the state of relationship with your boss, your parents? Sit down and write that out and just inhale it for a minute. And some of you will exhale and go, oh, dude, I'm doing really well. And some of you will go, holy smokes, my marriage is almost not there. It is a, is, is a vapor. My finances are a mess. Like It, it will be transcendent. So um, that's my challenge to you. Take a true inventory of your life and start from there. Well, John, thank you. Thank you again for being part of the podcast. That's a great I dare you challenge. And I say everybody listening in, let's do it. Let's see where I also dare you. I dare you to mail me 50 bucks. I dare you. <laughs> dare you. I have been dying to ask you, you know, your John Deloney podcast, the way you introduce it is that this is the greatest, most listened to podcast, <laughs> I think, in the history of mankind. So how did it feel to be on the second greatest, second most listened to <laughs> podcast of all time? Pretty good, huh? So, uh, yeah, I was listening. There's a politician, and the politician said, and I won't, I won't even dignify them with uh, by naming them, <laughs> but they said, hey, you can just say anything. And if you say it long enough, the public just adopts it. And here's what's funny. I was like, all right, fine. I'm just going to start saying I have the greatest show ever. And Darren, people just write me in like, hey, just write into the greatest show ever. 
And I thought, oh, no, I, that's how politics works. Just say it. And it just it becomes true. Hey, listen, it's not true. There is way better podcasts than mine. By a thousand, yours is way better than mine. <laughs> Man, if you just start your show every week by saying it, it's pretty cool. I like it. Well, John, thanks again for being part of the podcast here and coming on the show and wishing all the best of luck on building a non-anxious life. You're helping so many, including a bunch more with this interview. So thanks, John. Thank you, my brother. I'm really grateful for your hospitality and hope to see you again soon, man. Okay, that was Dr. John Deloney. I like that guy. I like his message. I hope you did as well. Now that you listened, who are you going to share this episode with? It's going to be someone important in your life, probably thinking of one person or many. Take that next step. If you wait until tomorrow, you're going to forget about it. If you wait any longer, you're going to regret it. Share this episode with them. Also, follow Dr. John Deloney on social media. You'll be glad you did. Also, his brand new book, Building a Non-Anxious Life, is out today. If you like this episode, you're going to love the book even more. I'm holding an advanced copy right now, (laughs) and this is one of those books where I'm going to be buying it and gifting it to a few folks. It's that good. What's your biggest takeaway? For Everyone's going to have something different. For me, I'm choosing connection. That's one area of my life that I want to do a better job of, especially in friendships with other people in my life, especially other guy friends. I've drifted away from some of my friends, some of the, some of the men who are important in my life. And it doesn't have to be men. I'm just saying for me, I want to rekindle and reconnect with some of the most important people in my life that I know I've drifted away from. So heads up, if you're listening and you know it's you, <laughs> I'm coming your way. If you like this episode, make sure you subscribe and follow us. You do not miss an episode. Follow us on Instagram at I Dare You Pod. There you'll find some interview snippets of Dr. John Deloney and myself in this episode. We have a lot of fun. And then get ready for next week. We got another great episode coming your way. Episode 90, one more step to triple digits. I can't believe it. I can't wait for you to hear next week's episode. I'll see you here. I'll meet you here next week in the I Dare You podcast. I'll see you then.